all the unique characters. I do let them bang. Yeah, I say, yeah, I'm a legend, man. I'm building my legs. All the stories and perspectives featured weekly. I wasn't fully committed to that choke, and I kind of sunk into it, started squeezing tighter, and I kind of heard him gurgle a little bit. I was like, oh. And all the combat sports you could ask for in the best state in the U.S. Like I said, Ohio versus the world. It's going to happen for sure. Watch out. It'll be cool, man. I'm not worried about it. I'm going to show them why the Ohio MMA scene is, in my opinion, one of the best MMA scenes in the country. This is Forged in OH. IO. OH. IO. OH. IO. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 64 of Forged in Ohio. My name is Jake Murrin, and I'm the host of the podcast. We're coming off an episode with Cornell Beecham Jr., and I just wanted to take some time here at the top to thank everyone for the support on that episode. It seems like all of you are just as excited for his debut as I am coming in March. For today's guest, though, we're also going to be talking about a debut, but not an amateur one this time. We're talking about a pro debut coming very soon. He's coming off an impressive win at Cage Thunder 25 to improve his amateur record to 7-2. and two. He's also a Ronin Training Center product like so many others to have joined me on Forged in Ohio. It's Mark the Caveman Antonelli. Thanks for coming on the show, Mark, and welcome to Forge in Ohio. Hey, thanks for having me, bro. Appreciate it. Of course, this has been a long overdue chat, Mark. I can't wait to get into that most recent win that I just mentioned at Cage Thunder 25, but I'd say I know a little more about you than I do other fighters to have joined me, but one thing I'm actually unfamiliar with is your story. So how did this combat sports journey actually start for you? I guess it's kind of a long answer, but uh, so I... Grew up in uh, Chicago suburbs, and when my family, we were on, I was around 11, uh, we moved to uh, Cleveland area, and um, I was always, like, I always kind of got picked on when I was younger, like, as a kid, so coming into, like, Cleveland, I feel like I tried to, like, reinvent myself a little bit and act like maybe I was a little tougher than I really was back then, so around seventh grade, uh, I was friends with this kid, and in science class, he's like, hey, man, are you going to go out for the wrestling team, and uh I was like, no, absolutely not, bro. That's that's lame, you know, because that's what I thought I was supposed to say. And um, he's like, nah, dude, if you get someone on the ground in a fight, it's over with. And I was like, uh, when's wrestling start up? So, you know, we got started. And uh, seriously, until probably going into my senior year, I started really like falling in love with the sport. And uh, I had great coaches in high school, so that helped a lot. But um you know, I started really falling in love with the sport and, and spending a lot more time in the off season preparing. And uh, I would say I was I was pretty average for my first couple of years wrestling. And then going into my senior year, I was I was pretty solid. Um, I was never never really a great wrestler, but I felt like I developed into you know one of the better kids in in Ohio by my senior year. So, you know, I went to Ohio State and um, started college, and uh, I was working a lot throughout college, like bunch of different jobs, landscaping, moving, uh, home health care, probably worked for like eight different companies throughout four years, you know, working close to 40 hours every week. So it was really hectic. And um, my senior year summer going into my senior year, I was talking to uh, the owner of the moving company that I was working for. And he said, you know, I was telling him how I just was kind of bored and didn't really feel like, uh, like I was enjoying the lifestyle that I was living, you know, I was partying a lot, not really, uh, not really doing anything that made me happy, I guess. And um, 
I, uh, he was like, well, there's this gym, you know, they have like Brazilian jujitsu and I didn't even know what that was to be honest. Um, so I had to like look it up and, you know, but he knew that I wrestled and he's like, yeah, you'd be good at this. It'd be fun. So I went and tried it out and then, yeah, I, I enjoyed jujitsu for a while. I started boxing a little bit, just like recreationally, just, uh, for the classes and stuff, you know, it was more like fit class at the time, the one that I was going to. And the coach one day was like, Hey, if anyone wants to do a fight, like, let me know. So I uh, came up to him. I was like, Hey, I think, you know, I might want to do like a fight or something eventually. And he, uh, he was like, okay, like show up on Saturday. So I show up on Saturday and I knew they sparred on Saturday, but I thought I was going to spar like another beginner or something. So I came up to him after class. I'm like, all right, coach, like, who am I about to spar? And, and he's putting the gloves on and uh, he just beat the shit out of me, dude. <laughs> but, after, you know, we did three rounds. And uh, after we got done, you know, he's like, yeah, dude, you can fight. And I was like, I don't feel like it, bro. But um, he, uh, you know, he was encouraging. He's like, dude, like, you know, I'm just trying to make sure that, like, if, if you want to do this, then, like, you got to be the type of person that, like, you're not going to quit, you know, when, when you start getting beat up. And then, yeah, I started sparring and then started doing MMA a little bit. And uh, I think I had my amateur debut in August of 2019. So trained for about seven, eight months and then uh, did an amateur MMA debut. So how long of a gap was there between that last year wrestling in high school to when you first walked in the gym and had to discover what, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu actually was? Uh, it was about, I guess, three and a half oh, years. Wow. Um Three years. Yeah. So I really, I didn't lift weights. I wasn't, you know, running or anything. I was, I was probably 150 pounds soaking wet. I've always been like super skinny. Yeah. I, I was, uh, not like not ready for, for what was coming, but, um, yeah, I kind of had to, to really work really hard to get back into shape and, and become an athlete again, I guess. Yeah, and I might be off base with this question, but being that far removed from taking wrestling super seriously in your senior year, did you lose any of that skill that you developed wrestling in high school? And did you have to work your way to get that all back? Or did it come back to you kind of kind of fundamentally that you have already had that experience? I think it, it came back, but MMA wrestling is also like so much different that uh, I'm actually, I feel like I'm a lot better at MMA wrestling than I am at like traditional wrestling. But I also, I coach high school wrestling. I was a high school teacher for a couple of years. So I was like, help, I helped out a little bit in college at like a program. So I, I kind of was like still around the sport a little bit. But um, yeah. And you had no clue what jiu-jitsu was. Do you have any clue like what MMA fighting was when you were approached by that, that person to join the gym? Uh, I'd seen it like on TV. And like, I would, I remember being in high school and I would turn it on and then my mom would come home and be like, you better turn that off right now. Like we're not watching that in this house. And, uh, so I, I knew what it was, but I probably couldn't have named five UFC fighters. If you asked me back then. Could you have imagined at the time that now you're the one going in there and competing in the cage? No, absolutely not. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild to think about, but yeah, for sure, yeah. man. So that first sparring session that didn't go so well. How do you not get so discouraged to the point where you're not going to make the walk and fight for the first time? Instead, kind of what more of that and be the resilient fighter that wants to go out there and actually compete? I think just, you know, after getting beat up by, by the coach, I was like, you know, hey, like how much worse could it get if I spar somebody who like also doesn't know what they're doing yet? So I just kind of kept sparring and, um, you know, kept trying that out and, uh, 
then after I started having more over time, my confidence just kind of built back up. And I was like, all right, like, you know, even if I go out there, like, even, even if this guy's better than me, like, I know I can take it, you know, whatever he's going to give me, I know I can take it. Was there a point in your career where you knew that this is what you wanted to pursue in life, that you were all aboard on this MMA journey? Yeah, it wasn't, it probably wasn't until six, seven months ago. So yeah, to be honest, like throughout my first probably seven amateur fights, like it was always, I don't know. I think, I think there's like a scary, you know, feeling around like going all in on something. Right. You know, like nobody, nobody really wants to like pronounce to the world, like, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do, you know, with my life. And this is, and, and especially when it's something like fighting, like it's such a intimidating thing to tell people like, Oh yeah, I'm going to try and be an MMA fighter. Like they look at you like you're crazy, you know? And, um, it probably, yeah, even though I was winning like amateur fights, like I really like was always kind of like not happy with my performances and I would just be down be like, I'm not really, you know, I could beat these guys that are at the amateur level, but like, can I really beat the pros and stuff like that? And really one of the biggest turning points was when I got to go out to, to Vegas this summer and go to the UFC PI and train in extreme couture. And, uh, me and miles went out there, miles Robinson. And, um, we were just like, I was like, Oh, like, you know, these guys are better than me, but they're not that much better than me. Like, you know, if I've come this far in two, three, four years, like I'd be at their level in, in a year or two. So I, uh, I feel like that was a big moment for me to, to realize that like, this is really what I want to do. And, and it just kind of gave me the confidence to, to decide that that's what I want to pursue. Yeah. I love that decision and going all in on this journey in mixed martial arts. Was that a difficult decision for you? I know you mentioned the extreme couture and how big of a impact that was to the decision, but I mean, the stress and anxiety that has to go into a decision like that, was it a difficult one? Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, I, um, both my parents are like two of the hardest working people that I've ever met. And, um, they're like, they gave me, you know, everything they could growing up and they both worked full-time jobs my whole life. And they always kind of encouraged me, like they really wanted me to go to college and I didn't want to do it, but I, I did it, you know, and, and they really wanted me to, to be like a teacher or do something that's like stable, you know? And, um, they were like, Hey, this is a stable job. You know, you're never going to go broke. Like you're going to be, in, in a good place, you know, and, and you can have a, a good solid life. And, and I just was never really wired like that. And, um, eventually like it just kind of came time where I realized like, like I was a high school teacher for four years. Um, this is actually the first year since I was 22 that I haven't been teaching. So that was like a, a big part of the decision, you know, was, um, I started my own, my own company and I started doing that on the side just so I could have more time to, uh, to train and, and pursue MMA. Yeah, man, I think that's so relatable, not only to, you know, people listening and viewers, but like myself too, knowing that, you know, this podcast might not be the most stable thing ever, but it's something I'm passionate in and it's something that I'm pursuing. So I think that's really, you know, key and really relatable to a bunch of people. I guess being that you are, you know, seven months in to making that decision, are you happy with where you are now, seven months removed from it? Yeah, um, you know, one of the toughest parts was that my first fight after making that decision, I lost. And, and that was, that was brutal, man. That was, that was really tough, you know, but, but looking back on it, like, I feel like, you know, I had to, uh, I had to have that experience so that I could be like, Oh, the whole world didn't come down on me. Right. You know? And, um, 
you kind of you kind of frees you up to be like, you know, if this is what I'm doing and, and it's okay if, if I fail, you know, I'm just a human and uh, I'm just going to keep trying my best. So that was that was like a big moment for that. And on your podcast, dude, you're doing a good job. I, I like listening to this thing. So I, I try to tune in when I can, when I see names that uh, that are familiar or just like interesting. For sure, man. I appreciate the support. So I know you've dedicated, you know, a lot to this sport beyond just competing. You mentioned your experience teaching high school, but you're heavily involved as a teacher in this combat sports space, too. Can you tell the listeners and viewers what it is that you do on the teaching side of things in MMA? I coach high school wrestling. Um, so I've been doing that for uh, for four years now. Um, so actually, Max Metzger is my assistant coach. So it's me and Max. We have a high school wrestling team that we coach over here on the west side of Columbus. Um, I love those kids, man. But really, like when I started doing it, I was teaching at a high school that was, you know, pretty inner city. And, and there was a lot of um, it, it's a rough high school. And, and there's a lot of like unfortunate things that, that go on. And um, I just wanted to keep kids like interested in something positive, you know, and something that gave me a lot. And I never really like sought out to be a wrestling coach. But when I got there, like they didn't, they had a coach, but he wrestled for, you know, like a year in high school and, and he's an amazing guy, you know, but like, I just, I, I wanted to kind of, you know, I remember how much wrestling gave me. So I just wanted to give back to, to the kids that, you know, didn't get that same opportunity maybe and, and try and make it better for them. It was a while ago, but I had the opportunity to chat with some of your wrestlers and I could tell how important you were to them and the respect that they had for you. What does that mean to you? And what does it mean to you when you see them, the people that you've coached, go on to accomplish their own goals? Oh, man, I don't want to get emotional or nothing, but uh, it means a lot. You know, it's uh, like last night was senior night for our guys. And one of my kids uh, had a lot of success last night. He, he pinned this kid who he's lost to him like eight times in a row. And I, I almost didn't even want him to wrestle this kid because it's senior night and he went out there and, and he put him on his back right away. And I was so excited. So it, it means a lot, but really it means a lot to, to see the kids like develop like individually as, as people, you know, it, it takes time. I feel like to like grow and, and see it from a broader perspective, because when I first started coaching, I was like, man, like these kids are, they're not like, the same level wrestlers that like maybe I grew up like Northeast Ohio was so competitive. And, you know, I was like, these kids just, they don't want it as bad and all that. You know what I mean? And then, and then like, as I grew up, I was like, Oh, like, you know, maybe I just, when you're in it, you, you see it differently, you know? And, and when you get older, you, you kind of see it from a broader perspective and you understand it's more about like kind of helping the kids grow up and, and just be healthy and happy and um, pursue the things that they really want to do. That feeling you had at senior night, is that a better feeling almost when you go out there and you're victorious in MMA? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Love to hear it, man. It's talking with Mark the Caveman Antonelli on Forge in Ohio. By the way, I have to ask about the Caveman nickname. How'd you uh, become the Caveman? Uh, so I, uh, I had fought this guy named Devin Rhodes um, from Cleveland, and uh, there was like a picture of me going into the third round. And back then, I, I really wasn't much of a striker. And he had really good striking and he was just beating me up. Uh, and I, I was holding on to him. I was taking him down. But like on the feet, he was really catching me. And going into the third round, I was kind of looking at him like with this just angry face. And um, I, I posted the picture on social media and people were making fun of me and saying I looked like a caveman and stuff. And then from then on, it just kind of stuck. You know, my, my wife was like, 
hey, that's a great nickname. And I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, but, <laughs> but I, I do like it. And uh, one of my favorite movies is actually uh, Holes. So shout out to Stanley Yelnats, the caveman, the OG caveman, but uh, happy to rep it. Yeah, you've embraced it and it's created some pretty legendary merch too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. The caveman shirts. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my wife's a graphic designer. She's like an amazing artist. So she does like all our logos and stuff. Like she's done logos for me, Kobe, Max. But that's who, uh, shout out to her. If you guys want to buy a caveman shirt, hit me up. There you go. Now for Cage Thunder 25, where you beat Jermaine Anthony via first round submission. Talk to me about how this fight was put together because you took this one on seven days notice. Yeah, so I, uh, I was supposed to have a fight in the end of November. Um, and my opponent pulled out a couple days before the fight. I was kind of mad at him, but then he posted a picture of him with a huge staph infection on his face. And I was like, I don't want to touch you anyways, bro. So that's fine. Then, yeah, they called me a uh, week before that fight. Uh, Tim Fairbanks hit me up, the matchmaker from BCM. And he said, uh, hey, like, are you interested in this fight with uh, Jermaine Anthony? And I, uh, I was a little nervous. I'd never done a short notice fight before, but I knew I was ready. So I said yes. And, um, yeah, they set it up. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the answer is yes. But were you actively looking for a fight at the time? And were you even comfortable with taking something as short notice as seven days a week's time? Yeah, I was, I was ready to go. I was, I don't know if I was, I would say, I wouldn't say I was comfortable taking it on a week's note. Uh, I definitely felt crazy doing it, you know, but um, I knew, I knew that I was ready. It's just more of like, uh, I never had such short notice to, uh, to mentally prepare, I guess. What was that week of preparation like when you got confirmation that you would compete at Cage Thunder 25? Honestly, I'm trying to remember, I think we had a wrestling tournament the day, like, the Saturday before that date. So I actually didn't even have time to spar. Like, because there was such short notice that I was like, okay, I don't even I don't even have time to like do any sparring sessions or we I just like had my normal like jujitsu. Um I drilled and uh film and, and kind of developed a game plan with my coach. But um it, it definitely wasn't like a normal preparation. Um but I had been sparring leading up to my November fight. So I knew I'd be okay. It makes the performance all that much more impressive. I mentioned it was a submission win, but I failed to mention that it was via standing guillotine. How confident were you in that exchange and in that choke that you had locked in? Uh, I, once, once I like stepped on the cage and, and went elbow deep, um, I knew that I was going to finish it. But I really like the best part was that like my coach had really been drilling into me like I need to stop pulling guillotine because um, I – I even kind of did it in the fight, to be honest. Um, like he shot in and, and I'm just like a little bit too comfortable going to my back sometimes because I think in the gym, people, they don't freak out if you're in a guillotine, right? Like, like in a fight, like if someone puts you in a guillotine, you're going to fight like hell to get out of there. But in the gym, if you get caught in a guillotine, like you don't want to hurt your neck or anything. You're not going to spaz out as hard. So I would say it's like twice as hard, three times as hard to hit a guillotine in a fight than it is in the gym. Um, so I got so used to like pulling the guillotine and hopping on my back and my coach is like, you cannot do that in MMA. Like it's, you're gonna, you know, put yourself in a bad situation. So that, that really was the best part was just being able to apply his advice and make him happy and, you know, get the finish. You mentioned the difficulty when it comes to getting a guillotine in MMA, but does that difficulty ramp all that much more up knowing that you went for a standing guillotine? It was on your feet. 
I, I think the standings is sometimes a little bit easier to finish than than uh, hopping your back. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm tall and I'm I'm pretty good at the guillotine actually. So I just but I'm trying to get away from it. I'm trying to go back to just defending shots, you know, like a normal person and uh, not hopping on it. But yeah, I, I think um, I think I prefer the standing guillotine for sure. Yeah, it was pretty ruthless and pretty badass too because when you got it and you knew you had it, you started walking him back the other way and then he started tapping and the fight was over. I love the exchange there and how the fight was finished. The win itself was your first in 14 months after 2023. You had a bunch of canceled fights and then you had the one loss that you mentioned earlier. In that aspect, what did it mean to get back in the win column? What did the win mean to you? I meant so much, man. Um, you know, it was... Uh... It was just like so much weight off my shoulders, you know. I think, I think it's difficult to stay motivated throughout a long amateur career, you know, because I had ten amateur fights. I had nine MMA, one kickboxing fight, and over the course of like four years, you know, and I was kind of like one foot in, one foot out for a lot of it. So I feel like, you know, deciding to try and go pro and and pursue that—that's like you have such. Uh, I don't know. It, it takes so much motivation to, to really be able to do that. And definitely it, it helped me, you know, be even more motivated to just get ready for the pro debut. And it felt like I kind of got that monkey off my back. Like, all right, I, I won my last amateur fight. It's time to go pro. Um, you know, it's time to drop down to featherweight and uh, kind of see, see what's up with that division. I want to ask you about 2023 in general, because you finished it on the right note with the win in December, but looking at like your topology, you know, you had a bunch of canceled fights. Like I mentioned, the one lost to Canyon Tackett. How difficult was that calendar year for you? It was, uh, it was a difficult year. Um, you know, I broke, uh, I broke my hand at the end of 2022, um, actually in a fight. So it was my, uh, seventh MMA fight as an amateur. Um, I threw a, an overhand like maybe 30 seconds into the fight and just broke my hand really bad had to get like seven screws and a plate that are still in there like broke it at like the base of my thumb and then had the plate runs like all the way up to the from like the base of my thumb to like where the thumb connects to the wrist i guess if that makes sense uh so it took me some time to uh to recover from that and just get back into it and then um i spent a lot of time in like traveling and stuff so I was supposed to fight in May and it got canceled and I couldn't find anybody to fight like before I had to leave for my trip. And then when I got back, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare, but yeah, I just really, really rushing to uh, get a fight and I was itching the whole time to get a win and, and make the pro debut finally. Yeah. And you won that fight with the broken thumb, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it broke it like almost right away. And then going into the second round, I, I started telling my coach, I was like, I broke my hand. And he didn't hear me, and he's like, "What?" And I was like, "Never mind," because at, at the time I was just like, "I don't want him to stop the fight." So like, what's you know, what's the point in in saying anything? Like, I'm I just need to focus on what he needs to tell me right now, and and just stay in there. Yeah, that's insane stuff, man. The the win at Cage Thunder 25 was also your first win inside the distance in about four years. How good did it feel to get back to your finishing ways? I felt good. Um, I, f I feel like it's going to happen a lot more often um, coming up. I think now that I can knee to the head, I can kick to the head, I can elbow. Um, I think those are things that, that fit my style a lot better than kind of the amateur rules in Ohio. Like I understand why they're there, but they also do like they really limit uh, what you're able to do. So.
I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to try out some new weapons. Once again, this is Mark Caveman Antonelli with us on Forge in Ohio. So after the win, and you've said it many times already, you're pretty clear about what you wanted next. Is the goal still to turn pro and debut this spring? Yeah, um, I got something. Can't say too much yet, but I, I might have something lined up for April. So we're, uh, we're talking about that right now. All right, that's exciting news. You also said you wanted to debut at Featherweight. Why do you want to compete at 145 next? Uh, you know, I walk around like maybe 165 pounds and, uh, I remember probably my fourth amateur fight, uh, was my first loss. And I was talking to the guy afterwards and he said, yeah, two weeks ago, I was 185 pounds, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, I've never been above, I've never hit 175 at the time, you know, and, uh, still like to this day, I've never hit 180, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm just skinny. I don't, it's hard for me to put on a bunch of weight. When I do, I don't feel good. I feel slow. So, you know, I, th I think the natural weight class for me in terms of like, you know, nothing's natural in, in professional MMA, right? Everybody's cutting a bunch of weight, but I think the professional MMA weight class for me is, is 145 pounds, but I have started working with, uh, with Eddie at immortal diet optimization. So shout out to him. He's been hooking me up with some, some good plans for my nutrition and I feel a lot better than, than I ever have. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's not the first time his name has been brought up on this podcast, that's for sure, with how he's been able to help so many of these fighters in Ohio. You've only had one amateur fight at 145 pounds. It was your second fight in 2019 where you won via knockout in the first round. How did you feel cutting down to that weight in that fight and competing in the weight class? Honestly, at the, at the time, I really didn't. I kind of just fought at what I weighed, you know. So I was, I was maybe like... 52 you know before that i maybe cut a couple pounds for that fight but probably my first four or five amateur fights i was walking around not much over 155 pounds do you wish you had more experience at featherweight as an amateur no no th those day those day of weigh-ins are like you know honestly if, if i could go back in time like I, I don't think i would change much with that because the the day of weigh-ins are, are tough and and you notice guys like don't have the same amount of energy that that they might naturally just because if you weigh in and then you have to fight you know seven eight hours later like that's brutal bro and uh i, I don't think it's very healthy and i think cutting a bunch of weight for that is uh you know your body can only do it so many times right like my my body's only gonna be able to make 145 you know 20 30 times so if i'm gonna have 10 amateur fights like do i want to waste you know, 10 weight cuts on that, because at a certain point you're just taking away from like, you know, your health and your career and, and all that stuff. So if, if you can't, if you're struggling so much that you have to cut like a ton of weight at the amateur level, you know, maybe you should like reconsider, like you could probably have a higher weight class. What do those eight hours or so look like from same day weigh-ins to when you actually compete? What does it look like when you're trying to get your body and uh, get some energy before the fight? Yeah. Um, you know, usually you hit the Pedialyte right away and then, um, you go and, uh, try and carb up, you know, I like to get pancakes, um, day of a fight. So that's, uh, something we started doing. Um, and you just go back to the hotel, chill out, um, usually take a nap for a couple hours at least, but usually it's like, you know, nap for an hour, wake up and eat more, drink more, nap again, wake up, eat more, drink more, but really just trying to, to settle your mind a little bit and, uh, 
also just get your body feeling good, you know, because you can overeat pretty easily or you can also undereat, you know, so you got to find the, the balance for yourself. What are you looking forward to more now that you are turning pro the no more same day weigh-ins or like you mentioned a little bit earlier, you have so many more tools that you can use knees, elbows, things like that. Yeah, uh, definitely no more same day weigh-ins will be nice. The knees and the elbows, that's, that's going to be good. I think, you know, I think there are guys that like do really well with like posturing up and landing big punches. And I think, I think my style of grappling is, is a little bit more like leachy, you know? So uh, I like to stay tight and, um, the elbows will, will play a lot better into that. I also have really good head kicks too. So, so I'm excited about that. I have really like a lot of dexterity in my hips. You know, I can knee most people in the face without jumping. So, you know, that'll be uh, that'll be a fun style to kind of show off and implement. Is it just a relief now that you don't even have to worry about not having to throw those strikes in a fight and withholding yourself from all those different weapons and attacks that you, I'm sure you train in the gym? Yeah. No, there, there was one fight where I, I was throwing like a step up body kick with my lead leg and I almost need the guy in the face and I kind of pulled it back and then I, I got taken down and I was like, oh shit. Like, you know, so I, I uh, definitely, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to just be able to go out there and, and not really have to think about much other than, um, other than fighting. Last question about weight. Is the future for you at 145 or do you see yourself competing between featherweight and lightweight as a pro? Probably featherweight to start. Um, we'll see. You know, I have a great strength and conditioning coach now. So I actually, I had neck injuries for a long time where I pretty much stopped doing jujitsu for like over a year. And I was still like actively fighting. And eventually like, like I was going to the chiropractor and everything, but I just, I couldn't even sleep at night. My neck hurt so bad if I would, if I would roll. And I started working with this strength and conditioning coach. His name's Dylan Seeley. Shout out to Dylan. But he helped me fix my neck and that's really helped me a lot. Um, so now that like I'm working with him, myself getting strong and big enough to, to go up to 55 and, and, you know, do well at that division later on. But for where my body's at right now, I think I'll be at 45, at least for the first couple pro fights. Is the neck even a concern moving forward or did Dylan get you right where you don't even have to worry about it? Dude, it's, it's unreal. Like, uh, I, so really a lot of it was, um, my shoulder, I had shoulder injuries from wrestling and he was telling me that my shoulder really can't bear the, the load of like, you know, being in like maybe a push up position or, or like, you know, these grappling situations where you're pushing or pulling and that it's just like going straight up to my neck. And I was going to the chiropractor for a long time, you know, before one of my fights, I had neck injury and I like couldn't even move my, like my chin halfway to my shoulder. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was getting massages and, and just nothing really helped me. And I, I kind of thought like that was going to really limit my career in the sport, but yeah, now my neck feels great. Like I don't have any pain and my body just feels better than ever. So it's awesome. From the outside looking in, it seems like you're turning pro at exactly the right time, training at Ronin with guys like Max Metzger, Kobe Woodall, Asher Frederick, those guys. Could you be more prepared for the next phase of your MMA career? I think the best thing about my experience so far is just that, you know, obviously, yeah, I have amazing training partners and stuff like that. And, and I just, I got to get a lot of good experience as an amateur, you know, like I didn't 
I didn't go undefeated. I didn't finish everybody tough fights and, and I know how to dig down deep. And, um, I think at the pro level that matters more because, you know, a lot of amateur fights, it's like a duel, right? It's like, you know, you two guys like going out there and, and it's like a quick draw battle, you know, but at the pro level, it's, it's a little bit more like a war of attrition. And, you know, like there are times when, when you have to explode and, and you're going to be going as hard as you can, but it's just really not sustainable for three, five minute rounds, you know, to explode as hard as you can for the whole fight. And you're probably gonna get beat up if you do that. So um, I think that like the experience that I have going to decision a lot, um, you know, although it sucked and I, and I don't want to keep doing that. I'm happy that I did it as an amateur because now I, I feel like I have the knowledge and the fight IQ to, uh, to make the debut. And, and really now I can just focus on developing my skills a lot more. Do you prefer when a fight is like a war of nutrition, like you mentioned, rather than sometimes in the amateurs where people might not be as experienced and they're just throwing things because they're throwing things? Yeah, I, I prefer, I like to, I like to have exciting fights, you know? So I, I don't want it to be, I think my style, you know, is a little bit more uh, like I pick my shots a little bit, you know, I keep people on the outside a lot, but I think uh, I'm trying to develop in, into where I'll have more exciting fights and be able to throw more you know, more exciting uh, attacks and stuff like that. Yeah. And with that, with the exciting fighter that you are, what do you expect and what can fans expect when the caveman makes his pro debut in the spring? Just, you know, beat somebody up, man. I don't know. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully a big knockout would be, would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely, man. We're still early on into the new year. So ideally, how many times would you like to compete as a pro fighter in 2024? I'd like to get like three or four fights in by the end of the year. So obviously starting in April, you don't have as much time, but uh, three, three or four fights would be, I think I'd have enough time for that. That would be good. And hopefully no more cancellations, right? I mean, it seems like every time you get a fight there, yeah, it's canceled, fine. at least in 2023, right? Yeah, no, I'm happy to say, like, as an amateur, I, I never pulled out of a fight, um, even fights where, you know, maybe I had things going on that I probably should have, you know, like, looking back, like, I, I just never pulled out. Um, and, yeah, I, I, but, dude, those cancellations were brutal. So, um, yeah, I, I don't want to do that to anybody. And, you know, God willing, I, I won't have to. But, yeah, hopefully they don't do that to me either. It sounds like 2024 is going to be an exciting year. I'm looking forward to the the debut in the spring. I'm looking forward to what this year is going to bring for you, man. Before we wrap up, just anything you want to shout out, plug here at the back end of the podcast. Uh, no, man, just thanks for having me on. Uh, shout out to my coaches at Ronan. Shout out to Josh, uh, Vitor, all my training partners. Um, you know, thanks to Immortal Diet Optimization. Thanks to uh, Dylan Seely, strength conditioning coach. Um, and just shout out to my family. I love you guys. And, uh, yeah, thank, thank you guys for following along and, uh, listening to my ass ramble for a little bit. Appreciate you guys, man. Well, thanks again, Mark, for joining me on the show. I know this was in the works for quite some time and I was happy to see you win and commentate the fight at cage thunder 25. Before I let you go, I like to get my guests out of here by doing the OHIO chant. So if you can help me out here, OH. I.O. Thanks, Mark. You're actually the first one to actually give me the I.O. with the hands, too. So I appreciate oh, yeah. that. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> thanks again, man. I can't wait for the pro debut coming soon, like I mentioned. And you bet we'll uh, talk again down the line. Thanks, man. You bet.
That was Mark the Caveman Antonelli, the 7-2 amateur mixed martial artist, but you might as well take that record, throw it out the window, because Mark's now one of the most exciting prospects to join the pro ranks. Ronin Training Center breeds great talent. We've seen it before in Ohio MMA, and there's no doubt that Mark's in that class as well. That's going to do it for episode 64 of Forge in Ohio. I hope you've enjoyed this great stretch to start 2024 for the show. If you have, don't forget to download episodes wherever you listen. Or if you're watching on the Forge in Ohio YouTube channel, leave the video a like. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel. 100% free by doing that. And of course, you know where to find the show on social media. It's at Forged in Ohio on both Instagram and Facebook. Thank you all for watching or tuning in. I've been your host, Jake Murrin, and this was Forged in Ohio.